This recording is a production of Faith Builders Resource Group. This recording was made at REACH 2017, held on March 23 and 24, 2017, in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Welcome. All right, we come now to um, a session on building spiritual relationships. Merle is going to be sharing here in a little bit. Uh, Merle, as, as some of you may know, is a staff pastor for Believers Fellowship Mission in Sioux Lookout. Uh, he is also administrator for Open Hands. Merle believes that much of our success depends on relationships with other people. He's passionate about helping people build strong relationships. In his years of pastoring and organizational leadership, he has seen the importance of building good spiritual relationships. I'm sure he has much to say, so I'm going to call him up to the platform. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll turn the time over to him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this afternoon, another workshop. And God, I pray that you would be with Brother Merle as he shares. Father, I pray that your spirit would be, um, that you would fill him with your spirit. We pray that uh, us as an audience could be receptive to what he has to share. God, we pray that your spirit will be present. We want you to be honored and glorified. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I do believe that uh, relationships are what make life rich and wholesome and uh, fulfilling. And I think we need a variety of relationships in our lives, we're going to look at three types of relationships that I think are crucial for all of us. There are times when we just need people to kind of tell us how it is. Um, When I was um, um, a young teenager, my dad had his own business, and in the summer times, when I wasn't in school, I would work in my dad's business. And I think I was uh, probably a typical boss's son. I thought I had a lot of authority, not because of what I knew, but because of who I was. And uh, because after all, I sit at the dinner table every evening with the owner of the company, and so people should listen to me. Um, There was a cement salesman that came into that business, and he took an interest in me. I was 14. He was 50, and I don't know why he took an interest in me, but he did. And whenever, he would come every week to sell cement to my dad, and when he'd go into the office and he'd talk to my dad about buying cement, and then after he was finished with that, then he'd come out into the plant and he'd find me wherever I was working, and he would take me to the break room and buy me a Mountain Dew or something, and we'd talk, and and he thought I was uh, an underprivileged child, I think, because um, he knew my dad didn't take me to any... uh, sports events, so he'd take me to Philadelphia to the ball games and Hershey to the hockey games and stuff, and, and I knew he didn't have to do that to sell cement. I just knew that for some reason he liked me. Well, one summer I was uh, driving front end loader and I was putting sand and, and, and stone and stuff into the bins with the front end loader, and there was a problem with the steering. And I had talked to the mechanics about fixing it, but they hadn't done anything, and one day I was driving the front end loader, and there was a knob on the steering wheel, and I turned the steering wheel, and the steering kind of kicked back, and the steering wheel spun around, and that knob hit me on the elbow on my crazy bone, and you kind of know how that feels, and in a moment of frustration and anger, I jumped off of the front end loader, I ran into the shop, I found the shop foreman, and I proceeded to tell him what I thought 
of his ability to schedule work in the shop, his mechanic's ability to fix things, and I just kind of told him how it was. And when I turned around to walk out of the shop, the cement salesman was standing in the doorway. And when I got to the doorway, he took me by the arm, and he walked me around the side of the building, and he backed me up against the wall, and then he just kind of leaned over me. I could still tell you what design was on his tie, because that was about my eye level. And he just proceeded to tell me that if I was ever going to be the kind of person that he thought I was going to be when I became an adult, I had a lot to learn about how to relate to people. So he said, now what you're going to do, you're going to go back in that shop, you're going to find the shop foreman, you're going to apologize to him for what you just said to him, and you're going to tell him that you will be happy to drive that front end loader the way it is until he has time to fix it. And if he ever puts, it gets, schedules it in the shop and fixes it, you're going to say thank you. And he said, I'm going with you. So we went back into the shop. I found the shop foreman. I told him I apologize for what I just said. I told him I'm happy to drive the front end loader the way it is until he has time to fix it. And when he fixes it, I'll say thank you. And then we went to the break room. We drank Mountain Dew. Everything was fine. That was a really valuable uh, lesson for me. And if you find people in your life who will do that with you, don't reject them. Don't turn people away if there are people who actually give you good advice and actually help you. We all need uh, people in our lives. I'm suggesting that we all need a Paul in our lives. Timothy had uh, Paul as kind of his mentor, coach, whatever you want to call it. In 2 Timothy... Uh, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, Paul tells Timothy, here are the things that you have seen and learned from me. And you have a whole list of things. Uh, The first one is doctrine. He says, uh, Timothy, you've, you've learned my doctrine. You've seen my doctrine. One of the things that we learn from our coaches, from our mentors, is what is really true? What How do I know it's true? What do I believe? What are the right things to believe? And so we learn about doctrine. Then there's manner of life. There's a whole range of things that we learn from our coaches in regards to manner of life. How do we live? Uh, How 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 big of a house is big enough? Uh, what type of a vehicle should I drive? How much money should I save? Uh, how do you treat a spouse? Uh, how do you raise children? How, there's just a whole range of things that related to this manner of life, like how, how to live. What, what should I do in life? What, what, are, what should my priorities be? How do, I, how do I navigate through all of the challenges of of life. That's something that we learn from our mentors. And then there's purpose. What's really worth living for? And it's always great to have some older people that you can ask, uh, what do you wish you would have, what do you know now that you wish you would have known at my age? What, if you could go, if you could come back and be my age, what would you do differently? Ezra Peachy was a man that was a missionary in Red Lake that I had tremendous respect for, have tremendous respect for. He's still living. He's back here in Pennsylvania. But one time I was in a meeting. This is probably 25 years ago. I was in a meeting. Ezra was there, and there was a time of sharing. 
And Ezra was in his 60s, and I was about 40, and Ezra was talking about how his relationship with his wife changed from the time he was 40 to his 60s, and the things that, how he treats her differently and just, just changes in their relationship. Well, I was all ears, right? Because this is information I need, because I need to know when I'm 60, what will I wish I had done when I was 40? And so I can, I can learn from that and um, uh, purpose, what's worth living for. And then faith, what can I believe in? What can I put my confidence in? When things go wrong and things turn out badly, what, what's unshakable? What, what can I actually put my faith in? Uh, what can I believe in? And then long-suffering or, or patience, um, to learn that there are some things in life that just take time and that sometimes I just need to wait and I just need to be patient and, and find my way through things. Probably about uh, 20 years ago, my wife and I were experiencing some challenges and, and, and there were some things going on that, that weren't very pleasant and and I was in distress about it. I didn't know what to do. And I felt like I was in a situation where I had two choices and neither of them were good. And I just felt whichever choice I made, the rest of my life was going to be ruined. And I didn't know what to do. And I was stuck. And I just couldn't make a decision. So during that time, we were going to, uh, coming down to the States, and, and we were going to be visiting a man who's uh, probably about, 20-some years older than I am, and, and he and I have talked a lot over the years, and I thought, great, like we're going to go to his house, I'm going to tell him my whole problem and ask him what I should do, and whatever he tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. So that'll, that'll solve the problem. So we went there, and, and uh, we were there a day or two, and, and so in the afternoon, his wife and my wife went out shopping, so he and I are at home and at his house, and so I proceeded to lay out the whole thing tell him how my whole sad story. And uh, he listened to me, and then he just kind of leaned back in his recliner and said, yeah, my wife and I went through something like that too when we were your age, and it'll all work out. You'll be okay. And I'm like, no, we're not going to be okay. <laughs> like, like, I need help here. Tell me what to do. So I thought he didn't understand, so I told him the whole thing again. And he was kind of like, yeah, I know. Yeah, we went through something like that too, and, and, and it'll be okay. And don't worry about it. And I'm thinking, well, but I am worried about it. And I, tell me what to do. And I couldn't get anything out of him at all. And so we left there. And I was, I was really frustrated. I felt like, man, I, I was prepared to do whatever he told me to do. And then he didn't tell me what to do. It took me about three days till I stopped and thought, well, what did he say? He said, my wife and I went through something similar when we were your age. Don't worry about it. It's going to be okay. So... That means that 20 years from now, I'm going to look back on this experience and say, ah, it wasn't that big of a deal. And so I might as well just relax, make a decision, and over time, it's going to be okay. And I did. And my life has not been ruined, and everything worked out. And looking back on it now, it was a really big deal. I, I, I wouldn't want to go through that again. But it wasn't, it wasn't the end of my life. It didn't ruin the rest of my life. And so... From him, I was able to get that sense of it's going to be okay, just persevere, hang in there, and it's going to be, it's going to be all right. Then love, uh, to learn how to love people and how to show love for, for people. And then perseverance, 
how to endure when things get tough, how to keep going in the middle of difficulties. You know, I've seen some men that have gone through some very, very difficult uh, experiences and just seeing them go through those experiences and being able to come through them and retain their faith and retain their integrity is encouraging to me because I realize, you know, if they can do that and God is sufficient for them, God can be sufficient for me and the things that I go through in my life as well. And then how to go through persecutions. What do you do when people turn against you? What do you do when people criticize you and they, 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 um, and, and, and they turn against you? How do you handle those things? What, what, because people don't always like us. People don't always, aren't always nice to us. Sometimes we're in challenging situations. And how do we come through those? And then afflictions, going through difficulties and challenges in life. These are things that we learn from our coaches. These are things that we learn from our mentors. And it's important that we have them. How do you determine who your mentors are? Um, I would suggest a couple of, of things. One is, whose advice do you seek? When you're in a difficult situation, you need advice. Who do you go to for advice? Um, and then secondly, whose who's life most resembles the person I would like to become? Who is somebody that I would say, I'd like to be like them? And you know, one of the things about mentors is you're probably not gonna find one person that is the epitome of everything you would like to be. So you're gonna see one person who's really good at loving people. And so you spend time with them and you find out how do they do that? What are the things in their life that really enable them to love people well? And how can I do that? How can, how can I learn to do that? And then you find somebody else who has another characteristic and you, uh, you may need one person for a number of years and then somebody else uh, later on in life for something else. And you uh, look for what do I need at this point and how can I find it from other people? How do I find the help that I need? And then another thing is whose writings do I read? Some of your mentors can be people who aren't even alive anymore, but you read their books and you, you um, uh, get uh, ideas and coaching from them through things that they've written. Secondly, we all need a Barnabas in our lives. Paul had Timothy, but Paul also had Barnabas, who was a co-worker in Acts chapter 13, verses one to three, you have the leadership team of the church in Antioch. It was a really diverse leadership team. Those men were quite different from each other, but Paul and Barnabas were teamed up there on that leadership team in Antioch. What do we receive from our peers? We need people that are co-workers, people that are, are uh, at the same stage of life that we are, who are facing the same things that we are and are pulling together in the work that God has given us to do. One of the things we get from them is encouragement. Now, when I was going through that difficulty 20 years ago and I didn't know what to do, I needed that older man who told me, ah, it'll be okay, don't worry about it, everything's gonna work out. It was also nice to have a couple guys my age who said, well, I'm glad I'm not you. That's a really bad situation. I feel really sorry for you. Like, that was helpful too, right? Because, uh, so I needed both. And it's good to have people who, who understand what you're going through, who, who can, can give you the encouragement you need because they understand your situation. And then working toward a common goal. People that share your vision, where there's a common vision and a common purpose, and, and you're in the harness together, trying to accomplish the same things together, and you're working together to accomplish um, 
a common goal, where you can rejoice and weep together, where you celebrate each other's victories and, and, and things that need to be celebrated, and you also cry together about the disappointments and the tragedies of life and people that, that you connect with at that kind of a level. You see, if, if you're just living life with just surface relationships and you're, you're not really sharing what's going on in your heart, you're not really sharing how you feel about life, you're not really sharing about what's going on in your heart, how are you going to grow? How are things going to change? I believe that change and growth comes from sharing in, 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 in close relationships with other people, the things that are going on in our lives, the things that we're experiencing, and, and, and getting that input and that caring and that sharing from other people into our lives. And part of it is accountability, where we have people who know what's going on in our lives. The person who is alone, who doesn't have anybody who knows them well enough to know if something's going wrong in their life, is a person who is in a very, very dangerous position. If you are so alone in life that you are not accountable for your behavior, nobody knows what you're doing, you have a way of kind of hiding from everybody what's going on in your life, you are in a very, very vulnerable situation. You need people who are, who are aware of what's going on in your life, people who, to whom you are accountable, people who check in with you to see what's going on in your life, and who know you well enough that if you start growing cold spiritually, they're going to say, what's happening? What's going on in your life? Why don't you have the passion for God that you had before? What's really happening in your life? You need people to whom you are accountable. You need that in your life in order to be able to maintain your integrity and to be the kind of person that um, God wants you to be. How do you identify those people? Who are your intimate friends? Who are your, who are your close people? Who are the people who really know you? Who are the people that you can share uh, almost anything with in your life? Now, I don't, I'm not saying that you should kind of indiscriminately share all your private thoughts and, and all the stuff that's going on in your life with a large group of people and that you should somehow just spill all your, your secrets in a public way. But you do need a few people who really know what's going on in your life, who really know what your struggles are, who really know your successes and failures. You need a few people, a small group of people, who are intimate friends, who know you well, and people who can help to carry your burdens. Because we all have times when the load is too heavy for us. We all have times when we need people to support us and encourage us and and help us to get through tomorrow. When we wake up in the morning, we have times in our lives when we wake up in the morning and we're not quite sure how we're gonna get through the day. And we need people who keep us going in those times of our lives. And people who we keep, we help them carry their burdens in their moments like that. We also need people who are willing to wound us. People who know when to say the, the, the things that may not be pleasant, but things that are important that we need to hear. I had that cement salesman who took me around the corner and told me what I needed to hear in that moment. 
Now, I had a doctor when we lived in Dryden that I, I thought he was a really, I, I really liked him. He was a great doctor because um, I went to him and, and I told him, um, you know, I'd like to get my cholesterol checked. And he's like, well, why do you want to get your cholesterol checked? And I said, well, because, you know, my dad had some heart attacks and my uncles, all, you know, a bunch of them died of heart attacks. And I just sort of like to know what my cholesterol is. I'd like to monitor it. He said, oh, you don't have high cholesterol. I can tell by looking at you, you don't have high cholesterol and you don't really need to get your cholesterol checked. And yeah, but he said, I said, what about my dad and my uncles and their heart attacks? And he said, well, um, uh, did they smoke? And I, no, they didn't smoke. Did they drink? No, they didn't drink. And he said, well, were they overweight? And I said, well, yeah, they were. He said, well, there you go. And he said, they, if they wouldn't have been overweight, they probably wouldn't have had any heart attacks. He said, if you don't drink, you don't smoke, you wear your seatbelt and you're not overweight, you're going to live forever. I said, great. Like, that's a, uh, I can do those. Like, that's really, that's pretty easy to do. So, I, I, but if I went to that doctor and I said, you know, I really have a pain in my abdomen. And he kind of checked me out and said, yeah, I think you probably have appendicitis. But surgery is really painful. I, I don't really, I, you're a nice guy and I wouldn't want to send you for surgery. You know, that's going to hurt and you're going to be in pain for days and it's just not, you know, surgery is not pleasant at all and I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want that doctor. Like, if I have appendicitis, I want a doctor who's going to hurt me even more to get rid of what's wrong so that I can heal. And there are things that are going on in our lives at times where we need friends who are willing to wound us in healthy ways so that we can heal and we can deal with the issues in our lives and we can really face the reality of who we are because sometimes we don't see ourselves as we really are and we need feedback from other people who will help us to see ourselves as we are and will help us to be the people that we ought to be. Also, we need people who know our secrets. People that know the things about us that that nobody else knows. Secrets are very powerful. If you're holding secrets in your life, you are putting a lot of, secrets take a lot of energy. It just takes continual energy to keep secrets. If you have things that you don't want people to know about you and you're living a life of hypocrisy and you kind of have this public uh, um, image, but behind that you have a whole, you have a, a mess of things that you're trying to hide from everybody Secrets take continual energy. Someone said that having secrets is like trying to hold three beach balls under the water all at one time. You can do it, but you can never relax. And you know, there are some people who, who live like that. They have secrets, and they're always worried, somebody's going to know that I have beach balls down here, and I really got to keep them down, and I got to be really careful that nobody realizes that I'm keeping beach balls under the water. And you know what? There's a real freedom in just letting the beach balls come to the surface and say, hey, I got beach balls. And here they are. And you can see them. And then you can deal with the beach balls. But as long as you're trying to hold them under the surface, you're never going to get anywhere. If you're afraid to let people see what reality is, you're going to have to keep putting energy into that for, forever. And there's, you're never going to be able to relax. And there's freedom in the right setting at the right time to just let those beach balls come to the surface and deal with the beach balls and handle them. And, and I just encourage you to, 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 let your, to not carry secrets in your life. And yes, there are things that we're ashamed of. There's things that we don't want, we'd rather not have people know. But there's freedom 
in letting those secrets be known and then be able to have accountability, coaching, walk with people in dealing with the challenges of, of life. I do some traveling and I have men who check up on me and when I get back from a trip, they'll ask me how things went, how I did on the trip. And I need that because I need that kind of accountability. Uh, last month, I was traveling and I was at a hotel and um, I was going to go to the fitness room and on my way to the fitness room, I decided to stop in the breakfast room and get a coffee. And so I did that and I was sitting at a table drinking coffee and when I sat down to drink a coffee, this lady was in the breakfast room and she came over and said, where'd you get the coffee? And so I got it over there. So she went and got some. She's like, can I sit here? And I, I guess. And uh, so she sat down and, and the first question she asked me was, are you married? And I said, yes, I am. And the second question she asked me was, are you traveling with other people or are you alone? And I said, I'm alone. And you see, her questions point out some very significant things. One is, am I committed to my marriage? Am I going to tell her that I'm married? Secondly, am I traveling alone? Do I have anybody else with me? And basically, she wound up propositioning me, which I said, no, thank you. I'm not interested in that. I don't do that. Um, but I needed, but I, I need, when I get home, it's also important for me to have men who say, what did you do? And how did you handle that? And what, what was happening in that interchange and that conversation? I just encourage you to have people who are close to you that know what's going on. If you're a person who's all alone, you don't have close friends, you're vulnerable because all of us are subject to to failure. Then we need a Timothy in our lives. In First Timothy chapter four, verses twelve to sixteen, Paul gives Timothy um, some things that he should be an example in, and they're similar to the things that he told Timothy. These are the things that you've seen in my life. He talks about the word, um, scripture, conduct, the way you live. Love, um, spirit, faith, purity, um, reading, exhortation, doctrine. And he talks about gifts. He talks about personal salvation and evangelism. Now, one of the things that is, might be a little surprising to you is that I don't know of anybody, maybe they exist, but I don't know of anybody who got to the age where they kind of said, okay, I, I know how to live life. I got all the answers now. Um, I'm ready to be a mentor. I'm ready to be a coach. And sure, you can just come and ask me and I'll tell you what you should do. Every stage of life has its challenges. And so you may be here and you're 25 years old and you say, well, I'm in no position to be coaching or mentoring anybody else. But you're doing it whether you realize it or not. Because everybody is admiring, looking at somebody. Think about it. When you were nine years old, who were you watching? You were watching the young teenagers, right? And you had a couple of teenagers that you thought were pretty neat people and, 
and that must be what it's like to be a teenager. And then you got to be a teenager. Who are you looking at? You're looking at the young adults. You're saying, okay, so that's how you do that. And, and everybody's watching somebody. And you have people who are watching you. You have people who are looking at you and they're using you for an example. They're using you as a model. You may not be volunteering for that, but it's happening. I promise you there's people who are watching you. And so make that intentional. You see, the way, the way community is going to work is if we are intentional in impacting each other from one generation to another and from one age group to another and where we actually connect with each other and we actually uh, invest in each other's lives and we're intentional about that. I just heard recently someone saying that they say that experience is the best teacher, but that's not true. The best teacher is learning from somebody else's experience because somebody else just did the stupid thing that you're about to do five minutes ago, and if you know about it, you can learn from them, and it's easier than going through it yourself. The whole book of Proverbs is based on the principle that wisdom and knowledge can be passed on from one generation to another. And so we don't have to learn everything by experience. We don't have to learn everything from scratch. We can benefit from the experience and the knowledge of those who have lived before, those who are a stage of life ahead of us. And so think about blessing those who are your followers. Pay attention to who hangs around you, who likes to be with you, who kind of, if you're in a group of, of people, who kind of just sort of meanders over and, and hangs around the fringes of where you are, or gets into conversations that you're in? Watch for those people. And then, uh, or who wants to talk to you? Who are the people who, uh, who, who like to talk to you, like to have a conversation with you? Who watches or listens to you in a group setting? Uh, who are people that, that pay attention to you? And... You, um, you watch those people, I mean, watch for those people and then intentionally do things with them. Take them with you when you're doing stuff. Um, you're, you, may be, you may be taking a trip or you may be going shopping, and, but you can, you can take a person with you and it doesn't take that much more time to just take somebody with you and, and talk to them, invest in their life, uh, have a conversation with them. Be intentional about connecting with people who are, um, uh, who, who, are, who are watching you. Go out of your way to chat with them. You know, it was interesting, um, probably about five years ago, I was at a family get-together, and one of my brother-in-laws said to me, Merle, when you were a teenager, or late in your adolescence, was there a man who you knew noticed you and knew who you were and paid attention to you? And I said, well, yeah, there was. And he said, I thought so. And he said, I didn't have anybody. And he said, most people don't. I said, oh, that can't be true. And he said, well, let's go around and ask people. So we started going around our family gathering, asking people, you know what? Almost... Some of them would say, well, I had an uncle that once in a while, I think maybe he knows who I am or maybe he is interested in me. But most of them said, not really. I just 
was kind of left to grow up by myself. And, and yeah, they had their parents, but you know, parents are kind of obligated to like you, so that doesn't count. But outside of family, outside of your parents, somebody who really, who, who really isn't obligated to, but they really like you, and they really connect with you, it's so valuable. And if we're gonna have healthy communities, we need, we need to pay attention to each other. We need to help each other grow up and be healthy human beings. And you, as part of a community, have a responsibility to do that. You should be connecting with people that are, are looking to you and ask them how you can pray for them. Uh, prayer is a powerful thing. And just talking to people and saying, you know, I'd like to pray for you. How can I pray for you? It's just, uh, it, it just takes a few minutes, but it's so powerful in relationships. And sometimes you can be talking to people and you know, you're having these conversations, but then when you get down to how can I pray for you, then you get down to some of the core things that they're thinking, some of the core things they're feeling, and you can dialogue and talk about those things and, um, <clears throat> and pray together. I had a friend that, um, he and I have been friends for, for all over 30 years now, and uh, he's younger than I am. When he was nine years old, his dad was a pastor in northwestern Ontario, and when he was nine years old, his dad came home one day handed him a bag of candy and said, I'm leaving, I'm never coming back. You're now the, the man of the house. And he was the oldest son. His dad left, took off with another woman, never came back. Over the years, he and I had a lot of conversations about the pain that he went through as a nine-year-old boy and growing up without a father in his home. We just had a lot of conversations about that. When his sons, he had three sons, when his sons were about the same age that he was when his dad left home, he left his wife and started living with another woman. I, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't believe it. I, I just couldn't imagine that he would turn around and do the same thing to his sons that his father had done to him. His wife came to our house with her children and she was there for a couple days and she didn't know what to do. She knew, where he, she knew what town he was living in and she knew that he was working in the grocery store. It was about 125 miles from where we lived. And so after a couple days, I was so mad at him. I was just really, I, was just, I, just, I just couldn't believe it. And so I said, all right, I'm gonna go get him. So I went over, I walked into the grocery store and I found him stocking shelves in the grocery store. So I walked up and said, like, what are you doing here? He said, I'm working in the grocery store. I said, your wife and your boys are at my house. And you know what your dad did to you. You know how bad that was. And I'm not going to let you do the same thing to your boys. Like, it's wrong. And you can't do that. And he said, no, I'm not going back. And I said, yeah, you are. And I said, why won't you go back? He said, because I'm working here in the store. I said, you know what? Two weeks ago, you walked in here and you asked that, the office is up in the corner. Two weeks ago, you walked in here, you asked that man for a job and he gave you a job. Now what you're gonna do, you're gonna walk up there in the office and you're gonna tell him you can't work here anymore because you're getting back together with your wife. And if he's any kind of a man, he's gonna, he's, he's gonna think you're doing the right thing. So he said, I'm gonna go with you. Let's go up there and you're gonna quit your job and you're gonna come home with me. And he said, no, I'm not, I can't do that. And I said, yeah, you can't. And I know you can, and I'm going to go with you, and we're going to do it. 
And so eventually he said, oh, okay. So we went up there. He quit his job, got his paycheck. And then he had his stuff over at the house. And he said, well, you know, I got to get my stuff. And that lady's going to kill me. I said, no, she's not. I'll run interference with her and you get your clothing and stuff and, and, uh, and we'll get you out of there. And so we went over there to the house and he got his stuff. And all the way back to my house, he's sitting there saying, this is really stupid. I don't know why I left you talk me into this. I said, well, I do because it's the right thing to do. And you're doing the right thing. And, it's, in, and, and it's, it's, it's the right thing to do. So he came back and we got to our house and and um, so there was an empty apartment next to us. So I told him, I don't know what you guys are doing. I don't know what the problem is in your marriage, but you guys go over to that empty apartment and work it out. So they went over there. About two hours later, I went over and said, so how's it going? Well, they said, nobody said anything yet. <laughs> All right, that's not working. So we started having some conversations and uh, they worked it out. And, and he's still with his wife and now, and it's been, you know, it hasn't been easy, but they worked it out and, and he, he was able to, to be with his wife and raise his boys. So where, where did I learn to say, what you did was wrong, and this is what you need to do, and I'm gonna go with you, and this is what you need to say. I learned it one day when a cement salesman took me around the corner of the shop and said, what you just did was wrong, this is what you need to do, and I'm gonna go with you, and this is what you're gonna say, and this is what you're gonna do. So you see, we pass on what's been given to us. And as people, people who have invested in your life, you can turn around and do that for other people. That's how community works. That's how we help each other to be healthy, grown-up adults and do the right thing. We hold each other accountable, we walk with each other, and we stand by each other and help each other to do the right thing. So just as you reflect on your life, I think it's good to reflect on who are my mentors? Who are my coaches? Who are the people that I'm looking to to give me guidance in life? And what do I need? And how can I get what I need? Secondly, who are my really close friends? Who knows my secrets? Who holds me accountable to really be a person of integrity? And thirdly, who can I impact for Christ and for the kingdom of God? And how can I invest what I've been given in the lives of other people. Let's bow our heads to pray. Lord, we thank you for community. We thank you for the church, for the opportunity to be in relationship with each other. Lord, we're grateful that we don't have to learn everything by ourselves, but that we can learn from, ex- from the experience of others. I pray that you would help us as churches to be effective in building the kind of relationships that nurture us, that care for us, that help us to grow up, to be healthy, functioning adults who care for others. Lord, I pray that you would uh, meet our needs for relationship. Help us to build those spiritual relationships that will impact our lives in ways that will be significant for your kingdom and for your glory. Lord, we want to be people of integrity. We want to be people of faith. And we want to invest in the lives of others as well. In Jesus' name, amen. This recording and many others are available from Christian Learning Resource, the campus bookstore at Faith Builders. For more information, call 1-814-789-4769 or visit us online at www.christianlearning.org.